0: Welcome back to part two of my conversation with Elaine Alec. Alder Hill Planning Incorporated. And do you accept contracts out of Province?
1: Yeah, we've been doing some work out of Province. Um, we with the pandemic, we've been doing everything virtual um so it's we have we've been able to do we've even been able to do like healing spaces and some really you know things that people have said in the beginning when this first started mm-hmm. like, how can we create this space how can we host circles how can we do this meaningful work about really hard topics virtually mm-hmm. like is that even possible and uh-huh. we have been able to do that we've um we've done some Really important work through Zoom um, with teams of people who you know weren't sure and they were uncertain about how it would go, and we've received such wonderful feedback about being able to create a safe and sacred space online, which we weren't sure we could do, but realizing that you can still feel the energy from each other even through a screen
0: oh yes, very much so, Wow you talk about the differences with working with women in leadership what have you noticed between those two worlds because they do seem like two different worlds women in leadership and men in leadership
1: it is excruciating and heartbreaking (laughs) it is it, it um politics the political arena you know is just so so toxic it's just so toxic and you know we have leaders in there you know a few leaders in there who are really doing the best that they can um mm-hmm. working in a system that's it's, it's just ridiculous you know trying to work mm-hmm. in that system and then ultimately becoming a part of the system without even knowing and, you know, I see so many of our men in leadership, you know, yeah, getting sucked into that and not realizing it and, you know, they have the best intention, but they're actually doing more harm, um, in particular to our women. And um, it's just not a system that that works at all and so you know there's people talk about the old boys club and you know people working within systems where you elect people and where there's a good side and a bad side and a right and a wrong and people vote and you know, only certain people are allowed to vote and it's, you know, and then it's very, it's, it's never connected to community. You know, I see a lot of organizations that aren't actually in community where the leaders are talking to people within the community. And just from, you know, the people that I've learned from over the years, the biggest thing they've always said is the change happens in community and that's where it needs to happen. And, I've worked with a lot of women who are leaders and matriarchs and, and uh, you know, hereditary chiefs who are, who are women. And, you know, they are all in women's organizations. They're all connected to community. They are Mm. directly connected to their families. They know exactly what needs to happen, you know, and yet they're the ones that are the volunteers. They're the ones that are in organizations where they're expected to give their time for free. Yes. And they sit on boards and get nothing. And then you see these men's organizations and boards where they get $600 to $1,500 per day to sit on a board. Um, Yes. And so, you know, that's just one inequity. And, you know, the way that men feel they can talk to women and disrespect them is something you would never see them do to another man, you know, Um, especially in public. So I just, you know, I've worked in a few elections and I've seen kind of the politics that people play and the dirty, the dirty things that people do to get support, to get a title and, you know, why people run for the positions they run for and what their purpose is. But I just, it's just such an ugly place for women to be in and and yet we have these women who have been there for so long you know and and put up with it in order to have the voice for women you know they're making space for other women to come behind them and they're making it a little bit easier because it's easier than it was before but it's still there and so you know i i try not to be so down about it <laughs> i spoke to a group of women a few, like, I think maybe a month or two ago, and they asked me, what advice would you give to a woman who wanted to get into politics? And I said, don't do it.
0: <laughs>
1: um, but yet I see, you know, I've I've worked really closely with so many leaders across the country, different chief and councils and, you know, hereditary and elected and, you know, people who work at a, at a regional level and in and a national level. And I've seen what women can do um, with very little resources because we were taught that, you know, we're... right from the beginning we're given the least resources to do the most work and 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 I feel so many of our men have been pretty much given you know through these systems always more um and provided less and I'm I'm not trying to you know I, I don't like talking like that about you know the way our you know, like our men, it's not, I don't want to say it's their fault either. It's the same thing. It's the system that supports that. But I think our men need to start challenging that system and to start stepping back and creating space for women to have that same opportunity to do the same type of work and to be equal part of the schedule and the agenda. And, you know, all of those important things that impact community are never on the agenda. You know, it's always, it's it's always kind of put last, given the least amount of time or not acknowledged at all. But all of the hard things that our men deal with, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when it comes to resources and economy, um, those things are the massive things that take up our agendas and are given the most resources. And meanwhile, you know, you see how it impacts how it doesn't impact our communities. So Yeah, I could go on forever about this, but there's a reason why I'm no longer in that
0: arena. (laughs) I think that's part of that self-care and Mm -hmm. that wellness, you know, removing ourselves from places that don't support our wellness or do the opposite of it and places that breed toxicity. And you talk about it in your book. Really, what it comes down to is the patriarchal mindset, the patriarchal culture that our communities are impacted by you think about the residential school systems and how our boys who became men how that affected them in their ways of masculinity and the toxic masculinity culture just as we look at how our indigenous feminism has been challenged by those very patriarchal ways of doing things the next thing I wanted to hear your thoughts on, in connection to your work with the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women's Inquiry, where do you see the inquiry taking this epidemic of what's happening to our Indigenous women?
1: That's a hard one. <laughs> you know, one of the things that um, that I've been advocating for is, you know, I... The moment I heard them talk about a national action plan, I Mm -hmm. was really concerned about that. And I asked if the national plan was supposed to be a national plan for our Indigenous communities, or if it was a national plan for the federal government to create and implement for their employees, their public servants. And they didn't really have an answer for me at the time. Um, I appreciate the work done by the commissioners i've I've heard them speak on a number of occasions and and you know have have seen the way that they they had to work on that inquiry within a system put forward by the feds. Um, I think the challenges and um, some of the things that didn't happen weren't a result of The commissioners and their work but was a direct result of the parameters they had to work within so um I I definitely supported the work that that they did that those individuals did and the relationships that they created with with individuals that they met across the country um I I support all of the calls for justice um that were laid out in the national inquiry. I think that it was, you know, it's important reading for all Canadians um to understand all organizations, all governments, all sectors to look at that and see how they incorporate it into the work that they do. Um but I still believe that the work needs to happen in community and that instead of a national plan for our Indigenous communities, we look at nation plans. Um, we look at supporting work in community to train and build up resources and capacity for us to have difficult conversations um, because right now, just based on the work that I did last summer, we have very few communities who um, feel prepared to have those conversations yet. Um, one example is I, you know, I picked eight, I was going to do eight community community sessions throughout the province of BC to talk about missing and murdered indigenous women and girls and community safety. And Mm -hmm. the need was so great that I ended up doing 12 sessions and we just really stretched our budget in order to do that. And so the 12th community that we wanted to involve was a remote community that was really expensive to get into during the summer and actually had no... um, it, we weren't sure we were going to even be able to fly in because of, of the time of year and how expensive it was. And we thought we were going to have to sleep in a minivan <laughs> when we got there. <laughs> and so we reached out to their community and we said, um, we might not be able to come because of these challenges, but if we tell you the process that we're utilizing and give you the questions we're asking, could you host the session? We'll provide you with the money to host it and then provide us with the notes back that, that you, that you gathered from the, the conversations. And so they were totally supportive of that process until they heard the questions we were asking, which were questions that, involved you know what how does reconciliation look between victim and perpetrator and you know we know that there's predators in our community right now at Mm -hmm. this time um, that nobody is addressing how do we deal with that and so really hard questions and so when they came back to me they said we can't do this we cannot ask these questions of our community members we don't know how to do this and we need somebody else to come in and ask these questions and so that was when we decided, we we made it work. We ended up getting out there and we held the session. But um, that was just such a strong indicator of where so many of our communities are. You know, we have... Lifelong advocates for MMIWG who have over 30 years experience doing this work and having a really strong understanding of the systemic racism and um, the colonialism that's happening. And they understand what those words mean and they understand, you know, they're in action mode. They want to see action because they've been advocating for so long. But yet we still have people in community who've never left the community, who don't know what those words mean, who don't see themselves connecting to it anyway. They just know that things in the community are really messed up and nobody's talking about it. And so how do we do this work that supports all people to come together to figure out how do we make our communities safer for our women and our girls and our LGBTQ2S community? Like, how do we do that work? Um, you know, because so many of us aren't in that space yet. And so, you know, support really needs to be given to communities and nations to have these conversations and to come up with their own plans, meeting them where they're at, you know, because even within communities, you'll have the action people who are prepared to say, we don't need to start there. You know, this is where we need to start. Not understanding that we still have so many community members who don't understand that. And yes, we do have to start from here. And so how do we create um, spaces for all of those perspectives to begin where they're at? And so, you know, the, I mean, I, I appreciate the work that's been done. I'm not going to talk about the budget or how it was spent, <laughs> but, um, you know, I think that you know, we're, we're in a space where we, we can't, there's no way, there's absolutely no way, even though we have national organizations, there's no way that our Indigenous communities can come up with a nation plan, like a national plan, because we're just at so many different places with so many different um, barriers and challenges to, based on where we live, based on, you know, who we're connected to, you know, based on our relationships with the provinces, and the feds within our, within our different jurisdictions and our, you know, the cities, you know, BC is really different than a lot of the other communities. You know, our province was the only one to um, support the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. And yes, that shows like the difference in relationship between us and our governments and each province has a different relationship with governments and some governments and other provinces still come to the table with a big brother attitude. And so, you know, there's no way we could do a national plan.
0: Wow. There's so much for our communities to address within ourselves. It's kind of like that. How can you heal the wound if you don't clean it out? And cleaning it out is going to be painful. Mm -hmm. And it's going to feel like it's bringing more pain to what's already there. But the healing, in order for it to take place, there's things that we are in dire need, I'll say, that need to be addressed, especially for the sake of our young ones. I'm curious Are there plans to write another book? I feel like there's so much more to your story. (laughs) And as you continue to do the incredible work you do, you know, the teachings you gather along the way, is another book in the works?
1: Uh, I thought that, you know, after I wrote, I could, my husband told me I could have just kept writing and writing and writing. If I just kept adding and adding and adding, it could have been a really big book, (laughs) And so I knew I had to stop at a certain point um, and just get this first book out of me. And I think from this book, there's at least four other books because, you know, I just touch on different aspects um, and, and try to weave it all in together to show how, you know, it's important to know where we come from if we want to know where we're going and that we need to acknowledge these things in order to heal and to do really good work. And it was the work that I did across the province last summer that inspired me to write this book um, uh, to so that our people and people who wanted to work with our people had a resource or tool to create safe space and cultivate safe space and have these conversations and, you know, I I did a workbook, you know, to support this book. And then I created some training sessions to support this book. So people could start getting uh, facilitation skills or even just skills on how they can um, incorporate diversity and inclusion in the work that they do. And so, you know, I offer, you know, I started offering those training sessions from this book as well. Um, that was the whole purpose of it. And then, you know, as I've been doing more work, I realized that there's pieces of the story that need to be expanded on to help people with specific areas. Um, my husband, uh, I thought I should write, my next book should be a co-parenting book based on Indigenous appro- like an Indigenous approach to co-parenting, um, you know, because that's such an important piece of our families and supporting our children and And my husband thinks that my next book should be about uh, chronic disease um because so many of our people are are struggling with that as well. So those two books are kind of like on the forefront, and then one focused more on uh on sobriety and and trauma. So um yeah, I think those are three books that kind of float to the top as far as books that I wanted to write. Um, and then, you know, I, I always said, once I did that, then I wanted to take a stab at writing a fiction book because I used to love writing fiction when I was younger.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. You've been pulling from your youthful experiences, going to the powwows. I'm sure there's so many stories within that when your mom would take you and your sister.
1: Oh, gosh, I could
0: write a few young adult novels. Yes, yes. (laughs) Oh, and I know you will, Elaine. I look forward to reading all of your books. So much wisdom and beauty and strength. We just need to continue to read these stories and share these stories and remind ourselves how beautiful and powerful we are and why it's important we tell our stories. I think about everything that you've shared in this and... I could talk to you for days, Elaine. <laughs> I honor you as a woman and as a leader in our community. And
1: Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, so if you're okay with that, will we go into the final four questions? Sure. Okay. All right, so this one came to me about midway through our conversation. If you could have a conversation with your young self. Actually, let's say little girl, little Elaine, what is something you would tell yourself?
1: Oh, I would tell myself, you are so beautiful and don't listen to what they tell you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. Wow. (laughs) And see if only our, all of our children can remember that and have Mm -hmm. somebody tell them that that's powerful what would you tell somebody who is thinking about speaking their own truth cuz there's a lot of fear that comes with that what would you tell them
1: it's going to suck it's uh, it's it's going to it's going to physically be painful the first time i shared my story i felt like i was going to throw up i felt like i was going to have diarrhea and my legs were shaking, and my hands were sweaty, and I just, I felt all of those things all at the same time, and I pushed through it, um, because I just had something that told me I had to, like there, I just had to, no matter how I was feeling, and so um, the first, you know, the first few years of me sharing my story was so hard and I shared bits and pieces in the beginning. And the more I shared, the more I let go, the more I forgave myself, the more I was able to elaborate and get into detail about some things that I didn't want to. Um, Mm. and I just realized the more I shared, um, the easier it got, the more I healed. And the more I shared, the more I connected with other people who said, I'm so glad you said that because now I don't feel alone. And um, I always say silence is killing our people. Silence is killing our kids. And, you know, that every time you share your story, you're helping save a life.
0: That's so powerful and beautiful. I'm so happy you shared that. Thank you for sharing that because somebody out there who's going to listen to this will remember your words that you just shared. That's beautiful. I have to know. I'm a foodie. I love good food. And <laughs> I just love good food. And I always like to know what, what do people like to eat? So what is one of your favorite indulgences, I guess, if you have one? Oh what my is it? Oh gosh,
1: everything. <laughs> everything. But <laughs> I am so, I, all of the special moments in my life have been involving food. When I had my bachelorette party, um, mm-hmm. Me and my sisters traveled from Vancouver down the coast into Washington to hit all of our favorite restaurants.
0: Wow. Uh, and
1: then last year for my birthday, me and my uh, sister Wynnette flew to San Francisco uh, because we were going to go to a Michelin star restaurant. Um, uh-huh. And things didn't work out and we missed out. But that was fine because we went and ate at all of the restaurants restaurants um, that were suggested to us down there, but my favorite of all time is Mexican.
0: Oh. Wow.
1: I love tamales, tamales and enchiladas. The that I could eat those forever.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> great choice. I mm-hmm. concur. <laughs> so you've got my mind on food right now. <laughs> You could write a whole book on that too, I'm (laughs) sure, and the conversations that you have when you're sitting around and eating good food, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So this one is coming from your book. You touched on it a little bit uh, in our conversation earlier, falling in love with your husband. We have a lot of our amazing women and amazing men out there who they're waiting on wanting to meet their significant other. What are some words of encouragement you could give?
1: Um, stop paying attention to what you think your type is. Because if you've been in relationships for most of your life going for you the type you think you have, then your type is wrong.
0: <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> <laughs> Amen.
1: <laughs> My husband, when I met him, I... I thought automatically friend zoned him because he was not my type. (laughs) You're not my type. And (laughs) what it really came down to was that I did not feel deserving of a good and healthy man. And so I thought I was too damaged and too messed up to be in a healthy relationship with somebody. I felt like he would illuminate my shortcomings and mm. so I, I really tried to push him away um, and because he wasn't my type. And then when I realized what my type in the past had been,
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. <and> mostly,
1: <laughs> mostly cheaters and mostly people who didn't treat me well, um, I realized that I needed to take a chance and step outside my comfort zone and, uh, our, and, and date somebody who is not my type.
0: Solid advice. All of our singletons out there, (laughs) take (laughs) note. (laughs) I'm so happy you included that part of your life too in your story as well. And it just gives lots of inspiration and hope. And yes, that we are deserved of good, healthy love and to love ourselves. That's a huge takeaway I took from your book is that real self-love journey. And that's how we welcome love into our lives, you know, when we can welcome it into ourselves. I took that away from your book and so many other beautiful, amazing teachings. Like I said, I'm going to read your book again and it's great to have those reminders and I see it as one huge affirmation about so many things in life and Being an Indigenous woman and everything that you talked about, I hold my feather up high to you, Elaine. You're just an incredible woman. You're an incredible Indigenous woman, and there's lots that you are bringing into this world. You're illuminating the healing and the beauty in our communities and the work that is necessary in order to have those things, healing and the love with ourselves and for each other and in our families partnerships, relationships in business, and that's what your book does. It touches on all these areas and I look forward to connecting with you in person and I look forward to continuing to follow you on your journey and continue to learn from what you're teaching the world.
1: Thank you. I look forward to meeting you too. I'm sure we're going to have to set aside a whole day. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) Thank you so much, Elaine, and many blessings to you and your family.
1: Thank you.